You ever watch the news and they will show the damage uh, in the path of a storm? Maybe a tropical storm passed through, maybe a tornado passed through. And the next day they'll have a news reporter and they'll show uh, the damage of the storm. And there'll be a house that's destroyed, knocked all to pieces, and another house knocked all to pieces. And there'll be uh, stuff strewn everywhere in the yards, cars turned over, all this stuff. And then all of the sudden, in the middle of all of that, there will be a house that's untouched. You ever watch that? There'll be 10 or 12 houses and they're knocked down. And then right in the middle of that, there'll be a house that's untouched. Whatever crazy reason, there it stands. Well, to me, that is our culture today. Today, we live in a world, we live in a, in a day when we look around and everywhere we look, we see damage. We see damaged homes. We see damaged lives. We see damaged relationships. And really, there's so much damage all around us. It seems normal to us. We're just living in a neighborhood of wreckage. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them may be compared to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and slammed against that house. And yet it did not fall for it had been founded on the rock. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and slammed against that house and it fell and great was its fall. That is from Matthew chapter seven. Jesus says in those verses, the difference is the foundation. The difference is the foundation upon which the house is built. The Bible says a wise person hears these words and acts on them. Well, tonight we're back in our foundation building exercise, and that's really what this is, building a foundation of the Word of God, the wisdom of God. And our prayer should be that as we're going through this on Sunday night, that we are hearing and that we are learning, that we are growing in our understanding and then in wise obedience, we act upon the word of God that we have learned. Now we go back to our study, moving verse by verse. Now we're going to start back in chapter 19, verse 12. Proverbs chapter 19, verse 12. All right, here we go tonight. The king's wrath is like the roaring of a lion, but his favor is like dew on the grass. The king's wrath is like the roaring of a lion, but his favor is like dew on the grass. Now, verse 12 really, again, is a statement of fact. It is a statement of truth. It is a statement talking about the type of leaders that we follow. A tyrant, a harsh king, his wrath, his anger is heard. His anger is known like the roaring of a lion. And so if a lion were to come and top a hill and roar in the same way, a harsh king, a tyrant, their anger is known. But the truth is a favorable king, 
a fair king has a good effect on the kingdom. Just like a dew in the morning, it is a refreshing impact on the kingdom. Now, I was thinking about that. I think about Israel and all of their kings, Judah and all of their kings, and all of these, these kings that they have through history, there are good kings, and then there are bad kings. And there are kings that bring destruction, and there are kings that lead them back to God's grace. They would have known this firsthand. There's a king that comes, and his anger is known like a roaring lion, and there's a king that brings a favorable impact to the kingdom. They would have understood this proverb. Now, the next two proverbs are on family relationships. I'm going to read verses 13 and 14 together. <clears throat> A foolish son is destruction to his father, and the contentions of a wife are a constant dripping. House and wealth then are inheritance from fathers, but a prudent wife is from the Lord. Now, let me read both of those again. A foolish son is destruction to his father, and the contentions of a wife are a constant dripping. House and wealth are an inheritance from fathers, but a prudent wife is from the Lord. Now, we see in these verses, and really we see it all the way through the pattern of, of our Proverbs, the condition of your home, the condition of your family relationships bears greatly on the condition of your life. And that is a biblical truth. The, the condition that your home is found in, that your family relationships exist in, bears greatly on the condition of your life. Now the verse says a foolish son, it could be a child, a foolish child, a rebellious son, an obstinate son, brings destruction to the home, brings trouble to the home. That, that type of child brings disarray and disorder to the home. Yet when the home is in order, when the kids are in order, when you tie the two verses together, it says house and wealth. Now that's talking about, think about it, security and safety is passed on from the family, is passed on from the father. Now here's the truth of that. Homes, our homes, are to be secure. <clears throat> Our homes are to be safe. And they are to be a foundation, a launching pad to take the steps of life from. Now think about that. Think about that picture. Our homes are to be safe places. They are to be secure. The foundation is to be so set that the things that come out of our home, the product of our home, our kids are to launch out of the foundation of our home. Now, if that's not true, then they have a wobbly start. Now, notice there it says, and the contentions of a wife are a constant dripping. Now, we hear that, and that sounds kind of funny, but I want you to see that's a big deal. In the center of this house, listen very carefully, in the center of this house, greatly impacting the condition of the home is this wife, is this woman. 
And so here in this house, here in this home, in the center of it is a woman, is a wife, and she is greatly influencing the condition of the home. The word contentions, the contentions of a wife. Now, sometimes people say the nagging of a wife, the griping of a wife. I want you to see this. It's more than griping. It's more than, it's more than nagging. It is the contentions of this wife. Now, contentions, when you look it up in the original language, it means disharmony. And so this woman stirs up disharmony in her house. She causes conflict in her house. <clears throat> now, it could be between the spouses. It could be between the kids. It could even be between the neighbors. It could be between, between strangers. But this woman, she brews and she brings disharmony into the home. Now, it says that her doing that is like a constant dripping. Now, this is kind of odd because when we think of that, we instantly have a mindset that's probably not correct with what it's saying here. When we think about her nagging, it's, it's more than that, but, but her contentious life is a constant dripping. We probably think about an annoying faucet, the incessant dripping of a faucet that just drips and drips and drips and drips, and it just drives you crazy. In this culture, guess what? There's no faucet. There's, it's not talking about a faucet that just runs you crazy. This is talking about a leak in the roof. Now in their homes, clay brick homes, a roof that leaks. Now think about that. It leaks into the house and it leaks into the house and every time it rains, it leaks into the house and it is steady leaking into the house. It brings rot into the house. It weakens the house. And it is constant. The steady dripping is what it says. And little by little, in its consistent dripping, it brings the ruination of the house. The house is ruined in the constant dripping of this contentious woman. That's what this type of woman brings. It's not annoying. Oh, it's so annoying. It's not annoying. She actually runs the home. But there's a contrast here. But a prudent wife, now the word prudent means wise. It means she makes good choices. It means she makes timely decisions. She is a benefit. She's one that lives according to the wisdom of God. That's what we're seeing. That's what we're learning a, a prudent wife, a godly wife, she is from the Lord. She is God's blessing, God's grace to the home in the form of this person. Now, I want you to, I want you to understand this, and I want men and women both to see this. This woman operating in godly wisdom, she is God's blessing to that home. But I want you to see, here's the deal. They get to decide whether or not to be this person. 
Now, if we read that at first glance, we'll say, well, she's a blessing from the Lord. That's a, this guy just got lucky, and that's what the Lord gave him, and so it's a good thing. No, that's not it. She gets to decide whether or not to be a blessing from the Lord or to be a person that would run her own house. You say, well, how do you know that? Proverbs 14.1, the wise woman builds her house, but the foolish tears it down with her own hands. She gets to choose what kind of woman she's going to be in that home. All right, verse 15. Laziness cast into a deep sleep, and an idle man will suffer hunger. Laziness cast into a deep sleep, and an idle man will suffer hunger. Now, this again is repetitive in Proverbs. We, we see this several times. We've crossed it before. Here's the truth. God's plan does not bless laziness. That's God's plan. Does he care about that? Well, he tells us over and over and over, God's plan does not bless laziness. Well, let's talk about that. What is laziness according to God? His definition, his word choice. Laziness, the most, the most direct definition I can find is being unwilling to expend energy. I'm, I'm not going to expend any energy. Basically, I'm not going to do anything. Another definition, slothfulness. No initiative. Now, I want you to understand this is not rest. It's not saying a person that's resting is lazy. This is a person that is unwilling to expend any energy. No initiative. It is laziness. They're not doing anything. They're not taking care of the things they ought to be taking care of. They can always say tomorrow we'll take care of it. The next day we'll take care of it. When something gets right, then I'll take care of it. When it becomes pressing, I will take care of it. It says it leads to a deep sleep. Now think about that, doesn't it? You sit around long enough, guess what you do? You're just asleep. You're just sitting there like, like some big bump on a log and you're in a deep sleep. Now, the Bible gives us the fruit of that. Here's the fruit of that. Here's the result of that. According to God's word, an idle man, it means a stationary man. Now, I think about that, an idle man, how that would translate to today. An idle person is a person that's idling. Their motor is running. They're just not going anywhere. And so it's not that the car's broke. It's not that there's a defect. It's not that there's an issue that needs to be fixed. The car is running. Just nobody's ever pushing their foot on the gas. An idle man will suffer hunger. Here's what I've decided, and I, this is, I, this is the, a message that I'll uphold because I believe it. For all people, kids, older people, young people, males, females, for all people at all times, here's what I believe the Bible says, results follows work. Results follows work. Now, we want results. We don't want to work. We want somebody to hand us something. We don't want to work. The, 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 the formula that God gives us is that results follows work, and when there's no work, guess what? 
there will be no results. Now, maybe we'll get by with it for a little while, but it will not last. It will not last. It says they will suffer hunger. They will suffer hunger. Now, before we move off of that, I, I want to add this to that. And I believe there is a tie-in here. And I believe we see it. I believe on, on top of physical labor, I believe it could be talking about the effort to get wisdom. And that's what this whole, this whole little book is telling us. If you're getting, get wisdom. Well, guess what? It takes effort to get God's wisdom. It takes work to study his word, to be here tonight, to think about his word, to study it on your own. And if you won't get wisdom, you will suffer as well. And I see this over and over again. You know what? I can't understand how this happened. Can't understand how we're in this position. If you do not do the work to get the wisdom, you will suffer as well. Verse 16. He who keeps the commandment keeps his soul, but he who is careless of conduct will die. Wow. He who keeps the commandment keeps his soul, but he who is careless of conduct will die. <clears throat> Again, very clear. The Bible says the one who keeps the commandment, the, the, the leading of God's word, keeps his soul. Now that means protects his soul, shields his soul, but he who is careless of conduct will die. It's the sign, I was thinking about this, it's the sign that says enter at your own risk. Break the law at your own peril. Very simply, here's what God is showing us again. A wise, prospering person seeks to be obedient to the word of God doesn't rebel against the word of God, doesn't ignore the word of God. A person that's protecting their soul is obedient to the word of God. But the person that is careless, that's the word that God chooses, the person that does whatever, the person that says, well, let's sort it out later, most likely it'll be fine. The person that is careless in their conduct will die. Now, God is telling us, now I'm trying to think, I think it's every week. God is telling us in this verse, again, this is the best way to live. This is the best way to live. Now, here's what he's telling us. You do not have to test it out to know it. You do not have to go crash and burn, hit the wall in order to find it out. This is the best way to live. This is the best way to live. Verse 17. One who is gracious to a poor man lends to the Lord, and he will repay him. One who is gracious to a poor man lends to the Lord, and he, the Lord, will repay him for his good deed. All right, here's what we see in verse 17. God is gracious, and we are to be as well. God is kind. And we are to be as well. God is generous, and we are to be as well. And here's what he says when we are gracious to a poor person, a poor man, a person that is lacking, that's what that means, a person that is lacking, we are pleasing to God. Now, sometimes we think, well, it's about this person. No, when we are kind and generous and gracious, 
to a person in need, we are pleasing to God. Now, here's what it says. And God will repay. Now, what that means is God sees the situation. God knows the situation. He is pleased with the situation. And he will repay the person that is kind and generous in his command, in his example. And so God sees and God knows and God will repay the person that is generous and gracious and kind. Now I want to say this, and I, we, we probably ought to start saying it more, more often. We live in a world of self-promotion. And, and that is a growing thing, and the internet and, the, and social media has, has grown that. We live in a world of self-promotion. When, when, the, when our world today believes this, our world believes it is not a good deed unless you take a picture of it. Our world believes it's not a good deed unless you post it. And, and that's in individuals and that's with groups. And, and I can pull you out 10 things today. Our world is not good unless you take a picture of you handing them the stuff or doing the thing or put it, we did this and we did that and we're doing this later. Well, I want you to see that's opposite of the system that God's talking about. He says he sees, he knows, and he repays. We do not need the acclaim of other people, the notoriety for having done the thing. God sees, God knows, God repays. Verse 18. <clears throat> Discipline your son while there is hope and do not desire his death. Wow, that's tough. Discipline your son while there is hope, and do not desire his death. Discipline your son. Now, it, it could be child. It doesn't have to be tied to the gender in this case. Discipline your, your son, your child. Uh, it is interesting what, what discipline is here. When we think of discipline, I think we think maybe of, of, a, of spanking very quickly. It could be that, but the Hebrew idea of suffering, of discipline, is suffering the consequences for wrongdoing. That's what discipline is, suffering the consequences for wrongdoing. Now, what that means is, first off, there must be consequences for wrongdoing. Now, sometimes the consequence is just natural. Uh, you, you climb up in a tree and jump out of it and break your leg, there's a consequence for doing that. But sometimes there's not a natural consequence, and you say, hey, I've told you that, and so I have to put the consequence with the action. So the first thing is this, in this Hebrew understanding, there must be a consequence for wrongdoing. Now, here's the second part. The consequence must be applied and endured by the wrongdoer. There has to be a consequence, but for this to carry its impact, the consequence must be applied and it must be endured by the wrongdoer. And then here's the, here's the fruit of that. And that process trains and teaches the wrongdoer. So there must be a consequence. The consequence must be applied and endured. And that process is the process that trains and teachings. Now, here's what it says. <clears throat> Do that 
while there is hope. Do that while there is hope. Discipline your son, your child, while there is hope. Now, I'll just tell you, I'm not glad about it because it means that I'm now old. But I finally reached a point that I can give parenting advice from experience. When I was younger, I would say, I'd like to tell those folks something. I hadn't done enough to tell them anything. But all of a sudden, I'm old, and I can tell some folks some stuff from experience. All right? Here's here's what I'm going to tell you. This is what the verse is saying. The best time to discipline the child is when they're very young. I'm going to say very, very young. And here's what the Word of God is telling us. And with every passing year, it is a less opportune time. With every passing year, it is a less opportune time. Now, here's what I can tell you from my experience. If you do it when they're two, hold on a minute, two? If you do it when they're two, and they're four, and they're six, and they're eight, guess what? It's a lot easier when they're eight, and they're 10, and they're 12. And if you do it when they're eight, and they're 10, and they're 12, It's a lot easier when they're 14 and they're 16 and they're 18. If they know, and I'm talking early, very, very young, there are consequences. And if they know they can trust their parent that if they say there are consequences, that there are consequences. And if they can trust the parent that the consequences are bad, and that's what you're having to show them, then they can trust later that the consequences are bad, and I don't want any part of the consequences. It is easier earlier, and it makes it easier later. Here's a sad part of this verse. While there is hope, here's what the Word of God says. Sadly, there is a point There is a point when the lack of discipline and the lack of consistency and the lack of training and teaching brings you to a place that it is now too late. Now, I don't know what age that is for for kids. It may be different for different kids. It may be a lot earlier for some kids. But the lack of teaching, the lack of training, the lack of discipline, there will be a time when it is too late And God's own word says, there is no hope. They are set in rebellion. They are not trusting of the parent and they are unruly and wild. It says at the end of the verse, and do not desire his death. Now let me read that whole verse again. Discipline your child, discipline your son while there is hope. And do not desire his death. I get this. The reason you discipline is because you love them. The reason you discipline, make a consequence and stick to it, is because you care for them. And you desire their life. You desire the best for them and not their death. Now I want you to see how this ties together. Remember in verse 16 when it says, those that are careless in conduct will die. 
If you raise unruly, rebellious young people that do not care about their conduct because they do not trust their parents, they will die. The reason you discipline is because you love that child. Let me just tell you, many of we, I wish a lot more folks were here tonight to hear this. To not train or discipline your child because you do not want to hurt them, it's hard. Because you do not want to upset them. Because you do not want to make them feel bad. Really is backwards in thinking. Because if you love your child, you will discipline them. If you want the best for them, life, you will do the work of discipline. Here's what the Bible is saying. Listen to this. And to not do so is actually hatred of your kids. I don't want to hurt their little feelings. Oh, they're so good and they're so cool and we're so proud of them. We don't want to upset those, those little kids. To actually not discipline your kid is a hatred of your kids. If you wish them life instead of death, the earlier, the better, the earlier, the easier. Listen to that. Discipline your son while there is hope and do not desire his death. Here's an interesting tie-in. God says it's the same with us. He says it's the same with us. He says those that he loves, he reproves. Those that he loves, here's what he says, he disciplines. Talking about us as followers of Jesus Christ. He disciplines us, he corrects us, he reproves us because he loves us. Here's what we've seen in our study. And a wise person accepts his discipline. We're going to stop right there tonight. I'm going to ask if you'll stand, please. Let's pray. <clears throat> Dear Father, we come tonight. We're thankful for your word. We, we're, we're so blessed to have your instruction, your guidance. We're thankful that as we hear it tonight, it applies to all of us in all, in all stages, walks, areas of life that we could be raising small kids and we need to hear it right now or we could be an adult in rebellion and we need to receive your instruction right now. Lord, that we need to, we need to, to operate according to your plan. We need to, to order our homes in a way that's pleasing to you and builds a foundation that we can launch out of to carry your name. Lord, I'm thankful for your word tonight. I pray that we have <coughs> taken it in, that we've heard it, that we now consider it, think about it, and that in, in wise obedience, faith, and trust, we live accordingly. Lord, I pray that that bears fruit. And I pray that we're pleasing in your sight, that we're a, a witness to a lost and dying world, that your name is known in the actions and the, and the words of your people. Lord, we come and we just praise you for this day. We thank you for it. We're thankful for our church. I pray, Lord, that you bless it, that you lead it, that you use it. Lord, we, we come and we pray for our world tonight. As we go back to a week uh, where, where locally and in the world around us, folks are hurting. I pray that we're, we're spokesmen, ambassadors for the gospel. I, I pray for, for other places where there's war raging. I pray that the the Prince of Peace would be upheld and received in these days. And Lord, we just end this day by saying you are awesome. 
You are tremendous. You are marvelous. You are gracious to us, kind to us. We end by saying we love you and we praise you. And I pray in Jesus' name, amen.